0: Please hear this reading from the Gospel of Luke. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time?
1: The vast, dark sky enveloped the Judean hillside as a million stars shimmered silently overhead. On this cold, clear night, There were no clouds to obstruct the shining of the stars. If the sheep had only looked above, they might have seen there was a new star in the sky that night, its presence inexplicable, its glow incandescent. As it came unnoticed to rest over the stable of the inn, a hush came over the town of Bethlehem. The villagers slept peacefully, as a baby was born quietly, quietly into their midst. The fear of the shepherds struck a harsh contrast with the calm of the night, as the sky above them was filled with angels singing their ethereal melodies, proclaiming the good news of peace on earth. As the shepherds made their way to visit the Christ child, they breathed in the cold air, and knew in their hearts that, indeed, all was calm, indeed, all was bright. Peace. Except there are many words to describe childbirth, but anyone who's done it knows peaceful is not among them. And I'm sure I already lost anyone who's been in a delivery room at the mention of the baby born quietly, quietly into their midst. I've always hated that line in Away in a Manger that goes, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying, he makes. As if there were any moral value to a baby's crying. What is this fixation we have with the Christmas story being one of calm and quiet? It's strange, isn't it? How we've romanticized the story of Jesus' birth into a fairy tale. Our Christmas carols describe a scene so tranquil and still that labor pains, sheep, and oxen have no place in it, much less a murderous monarch, refugees fleeing to Egypt or infanticide. It is true that the angels proclaimed that the birth of the Christ would herald peace on earth, but our carols seem to fundamentally misunderstand what this peace of Christ looks like as do we, often enough. It's this definition of peace as the absence of any conflict or chaos that seems to offend Jesus. I've come not to bring peace, but division, he asserts to a confused crowd, leading them, like us, to ask the question, what is the peace of Christ? Peter anxiously followed Jesus out to the hillside that morning, trying to explain why it was so important to make a quick visit back home to his family. Tensions in Peter's family were rising as both he and his brother, Andrew, had abandoned their father's fishing business to follow this radical rabbi, leaving the old man and their younger sisters to provide for the family financially. Peter knew one visit home wouldn't solve everything, but at least... He thought it could provide a chance to explain himself, to restore a bit of peace. And he knew he wasn't the only one. Each of the disciples had placed this commitment to learning the way of Jesus ahead of some other priority in their lives. And it was taking a toll on all of them. Jesus could sense their anxiety, and he knew it meant they were losing focus on what it was they were about. So he offered them a reminder. I came to light a fire, he said. I wish it were already lit, though I understand it takes time to assemble the brush. But let's get something straight. Nothing about this work we're doing is going to look peaceful. If it does, you're probably doing it wrong this thing I'm doing, this thing you are signed on to, it's going to mean division. That's not the goal, but it's unavoidable, even and especially within your own household. For some of you, your father will understand, but your mother won't. For others, it'll be your in-laws who can't make sense of the choices you're making because we aren't going to play by their rules. The whole game is corrupt. They're using God's name, but God is not in it. Do you not recognize the season of change that we're in? As churches around the world encountered this gospel text today in the lectionary cycle, I imagine there were more than a few preachers who were met with questioning looks. Are we sure that's what it says? And this is Jesus talking, healing, loving, compassionate Jesus? And then on the other hand, I imagine there were at least two groups of people who heard Jesus talking in this way and were not a bit surprised. Let's examine them because How we interpret a text like this tells us everything about how we understand the gospel. First, let's consider a tribalistic, fundamentalist reading. If my understanding of the gospel is that it's about believing the right things, about an intellectual assent to a set of fundamental, foundational doctrines that have been largely transposed onto the culture around me for the last few millennia, and then I encounter a generation that seeks to unseat my religious tradition from its privileged station in the culture, then I'm likely to hear Jesus talking about lighting a fire and causing division and imagine that he's talking about me, about my culture wars. I'm likely to imagine that Jesus agrees that I am oppressed, that my children should be praying in schools, that my Ten Commandments should not have been removed from the courthouse, and that my Starbucks cup should wish me a Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And that division is just the price we pay for continuing to seek to make God king in America like God always wanted. But what if we read this with a more holistic lens? My understanding of the gospel is that Christ has come to show us the way toward hope for the poor, toward release for the captive, sight for the blind, and welcome for the stranger, the outcast, the unwelcome. And if I understand that often those things go against cultural norms when we really practice them and don't just give lip service. And if I understand that when we go against cultural norms, it causes conflict. And if I understand that as an agent of this good news, I am meant to pursue those things anyway, then I'm likely to hear Jesus talking about lighting a fire and causing division, and imagine that he knows exactly what he's talking about. I imagine you probably know what he's talking about. Maybe some of you have experienced mother or father, family member or close friend turning away when they've learned what it is you stand for. I won't ask for a show of hands because in a room like this I think I would lose count. I want you to hear me clearly. You are not alone. Here you are seen. Here you are loved. But we also need to hear Jesus clearly when he says, this division, this is what we signed up for. This way of love is a narrow road. Few can manage it. And if following him is the commitment we've made that supersedes all others, there will be those who will turn us away. But this does not take away the promise of peace, because the peace of Christ is about more than the absence of conflict. A few years back, I had a good friend who was going through a difficult season. And While I was in a gift shop one day, I came across a coffee mug with a quote on it from an unknown source. And in large letters around the top of the mug was printed the word, peace. She had been on my mind, and so I ended up buying it for her. But I doubt if it was ever as meaningful to her as it has been to me, because that quote has stuck with me. It read, peace. It does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. Somehow I think that coffee mug has a better grasp of the peace of Christ than all of our Christmas carols combined. As the same vast dark sky enveloped the Judean hillside, It threatened to swallow up even the light of the midday sun. On that good Friday, all was not calm, all was not bright. Creation mourned as an innocent man hung on a tree for the crime of refusing to play the game by their rules, for the crime of loving too indiscriminately with too much abandon. This was the baptism he had awaited, and no wonder the stress he had been under until it was completed. As the chaos swept the disciples into a frenzy of fear, they scattered, scarcely daring to use their own names for fear of being associated with this disturber of the peace, a false peace. He had been right all along. Can we stop for a moment and put ourselves in the place of Mary, watching on the hillside as Jesus died? Mary, whose heart had been ripped out and hung up on a cross. Mary, who all those years ago had sung that the world was about to turn. Can we imagine that Mary was calm in her heart that day? That in spite of the turmoil around her, she had found an inner quiet, To still her spirit? I don't know. Or the disciples, the ones who had spent years developing ways to explain to their families when they were home for the holidays what it was exactly that they were out doing on the road with Jesus. Can we imagine that as they cowered in fear on that day, a part of what they were hiding from was not just the shocking reality of Jesus' death, but the implications it would have for those relationships. How long before the sympathy of the siblings they'd left behind turned to mockery of the lost cause they had wasted years following blindly. And where was the revolution Jesus had spoken of? Where was the kingdom he had claimed was coming, was even now here? There was no shortage of social upheaval. The mob outside of Pilate's court was only one of the many assembling during that Passover week. And the Pax Romana, the so-called Peace of Rome, peace through victory, it still soldiered on, expanding the empire with no sign of a day when Israel's kingdom would stand sovereign once again. But the peace of Christ was about more Than all of these things, the peace on earth of which the angels sang, had nothing to do with quiet or calm, but everything to do with God's dream for this world, a dream that begins with love laying down its life. The peace of Christ is about more than the absence of emotional turmoil, or the absence of conflict, or the absence of social upheaval. And in fact, the peace of Christ may require all of those things, because the true peace of Christ is the kingdom of God, the just kingdom of God, which is always, regardless of circumstances, at hand. The peace God longs for is not a shallow peace, but the kind that only comes to fruition in a world where evil has been overcome, where injustice has been overturned, chains are broken and wrongs have been set right. And the thing about it is that it's here. It's breaking in on our world, but it is not yet fully realized. Jesus' words of caution still ring true we will face division and rejection and misunderstanding if we seek to follow in this way. But peace is the name for a way of relating to that conflict that is grounded in the hope of God's dream. May we live as if we believe that on the other side of the cross there waits an empty tomb. May we live as if we believe that even in the small deaths we face, seeking to live into this peace of Christ, which is the justice of God, that we are grounded in resurrection hope. Children of God, may we believe and may we live as if we believe in peace, on earth. Amen.